Hey, welcome to Vows to Keep Radio. It's David and... Oh, what's that smell? David just walked into the studio. Have you been drinking or something? That's hand sanitizer. It's, oh. it's, on, it's on my hands, not my breath, I promise. Okay. We are living in some interesting times, aren't we? Yes. <laughs> How many times have you heard of Vows to Keep broadcast and wish someone else heard it too? We all know someone whose marriage needs encouragement and biblical truth. And for seven years now, Vows to Keep has been on FM signals across Ohio. We are now also on all the major podcasting networks. So if you hear a broadcast and you want to share it with someone else who needs to hear that marriage message, you can. Simply search for Vows to Keep Radio on your favorite podcast network and share it. Sometimes our needs are deeper. We want to seek some guidance for our marriage. We want to take a fine marriage and make it better. Or maybe we're on a crash course and our marriage is busting apart. That's why Vows to Keep offers a counseling team. We're different from most counseling you'll find in three key ways. First, we create a customized roadmap to take you from where you are to where you want to go. And second, to accomplish that, we teach you how to use God's word to define the problems and the solutions, starting with the most urgent things facing your marriage. And third, we counsel couple to couple. We keep things fair and balanced because it's never a he said, she said sort of standoff. If it's you or someone you know who wants to take a leap forward in your marriage, know that you don't need to go it alone. And finally, Vows to Keep offers events from fun date nights to weekend marriage conferences. If you have an interest in bringing a marriage-focused event to your area or your church, hit us up on our contact page at vowstokeep.com. Before you hear today's show, we want to put one other special note in advance. As you'll hear, today's broadcast was done in conjunction with author Heather Kaufman and was recorded in a different studio than normal. So forgive the audio, but we really felt like this subject was well worth airing and one that we wanted to share. Welcome to Vows to Keep Radio with David and Tracy Sellers. The mission of Vows to Keep is to help couples develop a biblically healthy marriage through the application of God's Word and a deeper relationship with Him. They desire to help you and your spouse grow closer to each other and closer to the heart of God's design for your marriage. Now, here's David and Tracy with today's broadcast. Hey, we are David and Tracy Sellers. And we have made Vows to Keep. Today we are guest artists on a blog from Heather Kaufman. You can find her at hmkstories.com. Heather is a novelist and a wonderful wife and mother, and she is doing a special series right now all about surrender. She reached out to us and asked us, hey, what does surrender look like in marriage? What does it not look like? So we're going to be talking about surrender in marriage today. Now, I'm going to guess that you're maybe in one of three different camps. First of all, maybe you've not ever thought about surrendering your marriage before. Maybe this is a brand new concept to you. You're thinking, what does that mean? And you're maybe curious about what it looks like today. Or maybe even a pastor or a friend has said, you need to surrender your marriage. And you're thinking, all right, so where do I go from here? Or in the third category. Yeah, that's the one where they're like, okay, I, I give up. I mean, that's what surrender looks like to me is just, just being done. Like maybe I'm not necessarily leaving, but I'm not really investing. I'm not really to the point where I feel it anymore. I've given up on that. Almost seems easier, right? And yeah. to surrender, just to wave that white flag and just be done with it. Well, let's talk first about what surrender is not. Surrender really is not giving up hope for your spouse or your marriage to ever be different than what it is right now. I think a lot of times people quote unquote surrender to the fact that 
My spouse is just who they are. They're not going to change. Maybe they're a lazy, no good bum, or maybe they are not willing to really look at their sin and be discipled through that. Maybe they have no work ethic and you've just surrendered to this being the way that it is. Surrender is most definitely not giving into the mindset that your spouse can never change because that kind of mindset leaves us in a state of such hopelessness and that is just not where God wants us to be. So that's what surrender is not. Surrender is not hopelessness. It doesn't look like giving up. It doesn't look like throwing the towel. It certainly doesn't mean saying, I quit. I don't care. I can't care. All the things that probably have come out of our mouths at different times in our marriages. And I'm going to just mention one more thing that I think surrender is not. Surrender is not compromise. It's not negotiating with your spouse or this back and forth till you reach this neutral ground where everybody gets what they want. That's not godly surrender. And we're actually going to dig into that in a little bit here. But let's talk about what surrender might look like in marriage. What is it? Surrender looks like saying yes to God. God, I want to do it your way. I, I want to be able to abide in what you have set forth in your word for what our marriage should look like. God would be the source of that surrender. God asks us to stay attached to the vine, and that's exactly what surrender looks like. It's almost like being on the same team as God, right? So I wonder today, as we speak with you here on Vows to Keep Radio, answer this question. What are you having a hard time saying yes to God about in your marriage? Think about that, because if you can answer that, you're going to know in your heart what area needs to be surrendered, and you can start to talk with God about that and ask him to help you. I think surrendering your marriage to God takes this correct perspective, identity, reality check. What do I mean by that? Knowing who you are. See, a true heart of surrender looks like Jesus. Think about him in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? Blood is pouring from his brow. He knows that soon, very soon, he's going to be having a crown of thorns placed on his brow. More blood is going to be flowing. That's surrender right there. It's us on our knees in a place of humility before our God, before our Lord, before our Savior, before our Master. Your will be done, God not mine. That's what surrender looks like in marriage. It looks like a great big yes. Yeah. Surrender, I think a lot of times we think of being seen in these really big moments when we feel like jumping ship. We feel like shutting the door in our relationship and starting over, but we choose not to, even though it feels impossible. That That is the classic thought process of surrender in my mind. But surrender is actually more common in the little details of the day. Not not to be seen, not to have her see you do it, but to do it out of love. Giving our hearts and ourselves completely to our spouse when maybe they've even been rude. Maybe they've been forgetful of something that's really important to you. This is the same thing, as you said, Trace. It's, it's saying your will be done, God, not mine. I think also, David, what surrender is, is not only acknowledging our identity before God, but our spouses as well. Seeing them as God sees them. If my heart is not surrendered to God, what's going to inevitably follow is a heart that sits in judgment on you. Mm. Absolutely every single time. I've got to see you the way God sees you. Because if I start to look at you like I want to, like through my eyes, then I start to make you kowtow to my rules, my laws. I start condemning you for not living up to my expectations. But when I surrender, when I say yes to God then I look through his eyes and something 
amazing happens in that moment. Even with sin present, my heart softens and I begin to have compassion because I clearly see that, hey, you're a sinner just like me. And that takes me really quickly from the I don't care attitude, I can't care, to I care very, very much. Surrendering your inner marriage is certainly not a one-time act. Everything we've been talking about really backs that up. I wish. (laughs) If we step back into the lead role of our lives and say, I've got to have it this way, God. I'll let you know if I need you. You know what happens. Destruction inevitably follows in every marriage we've seen that happen in. Even ours. It's in the moment that we cut ourselves off from the source of marital success that we learn the hard way that Jesus' words were very true. We find this in John 15, 5, where he says, Yes, I'm the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them are going to produce some fruit. And that's true in our marriage. There'll be marital fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. I've seen that nothing. I've lived out that nothing. Everything falls to pieces. I'm trying so hard to make everything work my way. It results in this empty, unsuccessful attempt. It withers on the vine, and i got to start all over. Because surrender is this ongoing decision we have to make to stay attached to the source. It's a prayer in our hearts that daily says, God, I trust you daily. Even when I don't feel like it, I'm going to act just like you. Let's go on to... The second question of this interview here today, David, she says, it's easy to approach marriage as for me, right? Rather than a gift from God meant to reflect Christ in the church. Absolutely. It's something we all fall into. So she asks, what pitfalls have you seen couples fall into when a more selfish view of marriage is taken? Yeah, there's several that jump right out as, as I hear this question. The first one is we're developing a performance-based love let me give you some examples. The first point we made earlier was this, this thought process that surrender doesn't mean that we're just in this constant compromise. And I recently heard of a life story of someone that I think so fits to a T. There was this aspiring author, a wife, and, and, and four young children, and they were looking for some advice on how to approach writing because his wife really wasn't very supportive of this. And, and didn't want to give him time in the day to be able to go and, and do some writing. So he was advised by a mentor to give his wife something that she wanted and kind of make it like a fair trade, something that would basically equate to happiness for both spouses, to make her feel like her, her needs are being met or being provided for, and then hopefully she'd reciprocate. Now, this seems very logical, but it's not. Take us through that, Trace. Why does this not work? I think it's because compromise in marriage equals currency. It's this thing we're exchanging back and forth. And here's what happens with currency in marriage. It quickly turns to demand. Now there's this barter system where I judge that I've given you enough that you should give me what I want back. Surrender doesn't mean, okay, I'll meet you in the middle. You come to the middle too. I'll give you this thing so you give me what I want as well. When it comes to personal wants and needs within a marriage, we've got to look past ourselves to the ultimate example. Think about this, Jesus and his relationships on earth. He never entered into a 50-50 with his disciples, not one single time. It wasn't like this balanced symbiotic relationship. 
Jesus loved when it was inconvenient, when he was tired, when he didn't feel like it, when he was busy. He didn't withhold his love until he got something from his disciples in return. Yeah, he served and loved them and and served them and loved them even more when they probably didn't deserve it Mm -hmm. at the greatest point, right? He depended upon his heavenly father's love for these people to be the provider for what he needed to be able to step in and lean into what he did to love them. So let's go back to that story about the husband that was wondering, how should I approach my wife on asking for this time? Well, let's say he started out that conversation with her by saying, hey, this is what I want. What if I, you know, watch the kids for two nights this week so you can go shopping or you can get groceries by yourself or you can go out with a friend and they kind of made this exchange. If he did, let me tell you something that would instantly happen even if he didn't realize what was actually going on. An invisible scoreboard would appear on the (laughs) biggest wall of his house. Yeah. And all of a sudden... When her side only has one tally mark, she's down a little bit, and his side's got three, he now feels justified in receiving payment. There's that currency again for all of the things that he's done for her. She owes him, right? He takes the liberty to give himself what he wants rather than asking God to provide the time that he actually needs. A second pitfall that comes to my mind, um, thinking about some of the, the major areas where where marriages can fall short is, is people thinking, you know, we are deeply in love. You know, picture us at the altar. We're deeply in love and our love is going to carry us through every, every hurdle we could ever imagine. Every hardship. Yeah. We're going to get through this because my love for this woman is that strong. And again, I hate to say it, but this is, this is something that's basically based on a performance based love. Because people who think that their love is going to save the day might at some point want to actually retract that love from someone due to their poor performance. I mean, I see it all of the time. And by the worldly standards, they're justified in actually backing off. Because if I didn't, it would be like giving you license to poor performance in our marriage. The reality is that what makes a marriage successful over the long haul is someone who is looking to be committed to Christ first and foremost, even before their spouse, rather than than someone who is committed to that person. I hope that makes sense. Let me put it this way. The woman who's willing to be pruned, the wife who gets her nutrients from the true vine, is going to live that surrendered life, and her marriage is going to bear a lovely harvest because you got to recognize where she's got her eyes. She's got her eyes on Christ and her husband reaps the benefits. Jesus teaches that again in this section we talked about earlier in John 15, 4. He says, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it's severed from the vine. Don't sever yourself from the vine. You cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. We'll go on to the next question. It says this, the book of Proverbs likens one person sharpening another to iron sharpening iron, which is a verse that many Christians can relate to. This is often most poignantly seen in the marriage relationship. How can spouses practically do this for one another? So when I read that verse or I hear that, because we hear it often, I sort of picture it on this flat 2D movie screen. 
the results look good. I think, wow, iron sharpening iron. I want to get better. I want to make you better. This, this is going to work out really well, <laughs> but we don't feel the intense heat that's needed to first shape that tool made out of iron. We don't smell the acrid smoke that the fire creates. We don't hear the hissing sound of that metal cooling in the water. We don't understand the friction that must happen to create a tool that's going to be successful, be useful in the carpenter's hands. This process, this sharpening thing, it's time consuming. It requires the forger and the sharpener to have enduring muscle and enduring patience for the stress of the process. You have no one else in your life who has a greater influence on you than your spouse. And we've seen this to be true in our own marriage. When we're willing to let them be in that position, it is amazing. And the same goes for them, right? When, when we're willing to, to step in and lean in, it's the two of you together in the refiner's fire, though. There's no one who has more time, more responsibility, and more exposure to our sin than our spouse. And sure, they could pretty much nail exactly where it is that we need to be sharpened. So how will you use this? That's what this Bible verse is really charging us with is, is do you see your relationship as a crucible for godly change in each other? So this begs two questions. Are you willing to let your spouse be used by God to sharpen you to be more Christ-like? And if so, are you willing to ask them to show you your blind spots, to actually hold you accountable, not with their opinion, but with God's word, so that your decisions and your actions are going to be molded? And you also have the same role in their life. God has given us such a great responsibility here. He's entrusted us with this, but it's so easy to wimp out. It's easy to just sit on the sidelines and say, you know what, you, you figure it out. Or we take the other position where we try to be the Holy Spirit in the other person's life and we point out every little flaw, but we don't take them to God's word. It becomes about our rules again and our law instead of God's. When we live in a place of surrendering our spouse to the Lord, I think that's when we take ourselves out of that judge seat. We're no longer the jury. Instead, I begin to look for ways to be your ally. I begin to live in that place of surrender, letting God be the one that convicts. Two more questions today, David. Everyone can agree that marriage is hard, Heather says. We need the Lord's help to maintain a healthy, lasting marriage. So how can each spouse individually and the couple together turn to the Lord for this assistance? I think it'd be easy to just say, Spend time in God's word, hmm. spend time in prayer. Obviously, we know those are not only the Sunday school answers, they actually hold the most water. But let's dig just a little bit deeper under the surface here. A marriage lived in pursuit of God is far less hard than one that's in pursuit of ourselves. That is really the bottom line here because marriage is going to look pretty difficult if we are after us if we're all about what we want and we're not about what God wants, that's what makes marriage hard. Yeah. And when we're looking for our spouse to actually get on board with that, right? We want them to be all about us as well. So when both of us are focused on me, this marriage is awesome. That's kind of how the traditional answer to this question goes. We know that's wrong as Christians, but if you go out into the media, that's pretty much what you're going to find. So we end up creating this mini kingdom with with, with me as king, right? Or, or with you as queen. And 
this is the default reality that many of us live in, even as believers. And that, of course, is going to make any marriage very hard because our spouse is going to grow very weary of worshiping us and, and kowtowing to each of the different little rules and regulations or desires that we have, much of which aren't to serve the Lord, but are to serve us. And in the end, of course, that doesn't give us the happiness that we were after in the first place. We let ourselves down because what we're striving for leaves us feeling empty. Try it sometime. You know the feeling. It happens every single time. Yeah. Some of us even get to the point where we realize that all of even our sacrifices for our marriage, all of our work, all of our striving can't save us or our marriage. And this seems like such a harsh reality, right? Because it is a reality that each and every one of us, apart from Christ, have to face. As sinners, what we're looking for is for the world to bow down to us. And this is our natural default sinful tendency. But this is where the good news actually starts. Because when we admit that we are not the center, that we actually need our Savior to be at our center, He comes and rescues us. He rescues our spouse from us, right? Romans 7.24 says, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God. The answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. We're going to let us down. Our spouse is going to let us down. Our marriage isn't going to be the end all for the happiness that we strive for. We need a catalyst to change our course. We have to shift our eyes from ourselves toward God's kingdom. Absolutely. Jesus gives us the answer. He gives us the example to follow. He gives us our new end game, our new purpose. And I think practically speaking, we can boil it down to this, David, loving your spouse the most when they deserve it the least. And maybe I'll add to that today, loving your spouse the most when you don't feel like it. Write that down. Hang it on your bathroom mirror if you need to, because that statement is powerful because it has the gospel at its core. That's not only what Jesus did for us, it's what he's commissioned us to do. It's the first and greatest commandment really in today's vernacular. Love your spouse the most when they deserve it the least. So what final words of encouragement do we have, David, for those desiring to surrender, to steward their marriage as well? A good steward, I think, knows their position before their master, and their master being Jesus Christ. A good steward knows that the master's intention and heart for your spouse is very different than how you might naturally go, right? A good steward looks for ways to serve without necessarily being motivated by the reward or the thanks that they're going to get here on earth. A good steward knows their purpose and uses their tools, their abilities, and even some of the conflicts, knowing what God has set out for you to accomplish in your marriage for his kingdom. I want to turn before we end today's broadcast to 1 Peter chapter 3. I think this does a good job of summarizing what many of us face in our marriages and the commission that God has given us. Finally, all of you should be of one mind, sympathize with each other, love each other as brothers and sisters, be tender-hearted and keep a humble attitude. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will grant you his blessing. For the scriptures say, if you want to enjoy life and see many happy days, keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Turn away from the evil and do what is good. Search for peace and work to maintain it. 
The eyes of the Lord watch over those who do right, and his ears are open to their prayers. Remember today that surrendering is saying yes to God. Readily and repeatedly, David, saying yes. Well, thank you guys for joining us today on Keep Radio. Great big thank you to Heather Kaufman of hmkstories.com for hosting us on her blog and helping us to think through what surrender looks like in marriage. We'll see you next week on Vows to Keep Radio. Vows to Keep is supported by a team which includes biblical coaches, writers, and pastoral advisors. If you have a desire to serve marriages in your community, we would love to hear from you. Vows to Keep is a not-for-profit marriage ministry designed to bring God's encouraging truth to the marriages of our area. As a not-for-profit organization, our commitment to Christ-like marriages includes providing much-needed services regardless of a couple's financial ability to offset the cost of Vows to Keep operations. If you are unable to donate your time or abilities but would like to help support Vows to Keep financially, visit VowsToKeep.com and click on the donate link. Like what you heard today on Vows to Keep Radio? Listen to more life-changing broadcasts at VowsToKeep.com. This program is sponsored by Vows to Keep of Zanesfield, Ohio.